Before we launch this next episode, we wanted to take a moment to recognize our latest Patreon supporters, Jeff Yamada, Rita Molestina, Scott Nine, Kavita Rao, Il Ruchala, Vera Simone Nobes, Catherine Elmer, and Jenny McGinn. I apologize. I'm going to have to pause because I think someone may ring my doorbell. That's unacceptable. <laughs> Doug, edit this out. I'm no, don't edit it. it. Okay. No. <laughs> we all want to know what you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> what Amazon? Amazon. I like threw you the alley and you just watched it go over here. You were like, oh yeah, I do Amazon too. It wasn't none of that. It was you were looking at me like, oh my god, like, like what like, a yeah. shitty human, right? Yeah. All that judgment, imposter, yeah. imposter on the podcast. You know what I mean? That's what we about to call this pod, the Imposter Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Delma Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. Today, we're going to continue our conversation that we started last time and introduce you to a good friend of ours, Khalif Williams. We are going to not be afraid to ask each other the hard questions and probably trip over ourselves as we do it. Sticking with the theme of highs and lows for the week. Talk to me about yours. My highs and lows are honestly uh, pretty embarrassing. Um, I'm embarrassed. So my my low was um, being called a savage in front of who I thought were my, was my team, my, my colleagues, executive leadership team. The embarrassment is not that that was a low. That's a reasonable low. (laughs) Um, It wasn't that I was called that. It wasn't that, um, aside from my brother, no, um, none of my white colleagues reached out to see how it was impacting me. Only BIPOC folks reached out to ask. That wasn't my low. My low wasn't actually feeling it. That was my high. My high was I didn't do the dumbass behavior, which I do, which is stiff arm it, compartmentalize it, and don't deal with it until later when it kicks me in the ass. My high was I actually, which was horrible. It was two days of just grief and despair and um, music and and dancing and cooking and and like all of that in front of my child, which you would have thought was my low, but actually ended up being my high. The low was um, the fact that my white colleagues not reacting really hurt my feelings. That betrayal, it was like a heartbreak. And my low is that I can't believe that bothered me that much. I'm so upset about it, like that that like that it bothered me that much. Like it it feels like a bizarre low. You would think the low is like the attack of of the word. You would think the low would be the fact that we're so invisibilized that people don't even get that that word is equivalent to the n word. But the like, but no, the low was that these white colleagues who I work 24 hours a day for to try to make the world better in this super white institution couldn't just call and say, are you okay? Like, how are you? And I'm mad that that broke my heart. 
actually have a follow-up question about that and i'm asking you to take a guess do you suspect that you did not hear from your white colleagues because it went over their head because they didn't want to address it directly like what do you think where do you think that came that lack of reaching out came from yeah no good question I actually don't like I for, forgive isn't the right word, but I like could give a shit about those whose head it went over. I can work with that. It's those who I know whose head it didn't go over and were too scared to do anything. Mm. Mm-hmm. Their, their fragility, they centered themselves. And I know because I followed up with them and said, what am I nothing to you? Like you couldn't. Oh, we're so sorry. We didn't like we were so scared. We didn't know what to do. And it was worse. That made it even worse. Well, your colleague is gushing blood in front of you. You just saw me get hit with a bat by your colleague. You saw my, you know, not my leg break, but my soul break. And you were too scared or too worried or too whatever to just call and say, just checking in on you. And God, my low is it like, I don't want that to actually hurt my feelings. (laughs) I want to not care. Did anybody name what they were scared of specifically? Not being perfect. Not getting it right. Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and in the in my sort of raw anger when talking with one of my colleagues, I said, "So I'm I'm gushing blood, and none of my colleagues can even you know offer a band aid." And one of them said, "I would like back up a Brinks truck full of band aids right now if I could." I said, "No, I just wanted the offer. The offer is the healing." I'm so sorry. I was afraid it couldn't be perfect. I was afraid. I was like, "Well, I didn't need a, a perfect paramedic." I needed you to be nice to me. I need you to be nice to me. And my low is that I'm embarrassed that it hurt my feelings. And that was a heavy, that was a heavy high and low. So I could, sure. I could, I could lean into other highs and lows. Like my low is we had a, we had this fun uh, planned dinner party for my son who came home from college and I read his itinerary wrong. He didn't show up. <laughs> wasn't supposed to arrive until 10 30 that night so my sister and all family had to go home i fell asleep and my younger son had to go pick him up at the airport and make him a burger because i'm a shitty mother that's another low that happened this week you're not <laughs> a, you want shit- a lighter low <laughs> you're not a shitty mom you're a shitty reader <laughs> nice you know let's let's be clear in our language <laughs> we come back making the connection between uh, current events and putting it into a historical context so um, stay tuned Lots going on, lots that we could talk about, but you mentioned something earlier that I thought was important to name. Would you mind going there and taking us there with you? A big deal in uh, Pueblo country and Indian country is Joe Biden's nomination of Deb Haaland for the potential um, interior secretary. It's obviously got to be confirmed by the Senate, but Mm -hmm. um, she's a member of my nation. She's Laguna Pueblo. In terms of how many Laguna Pueblos there are in on this planet, between four and seven thousand, and 
I was telling you earlier, you say the word Navajo, most of the world, well, United States knows what that is. You say Lakota Sioux, most people know what that. You say Laguna Pueblo, and they don't even, people don't even know what that is. And so in terms of a little bit of an elevation, it's pretty amazing. And it made me go back and think about um, in connecting it to some historical narrative I was both excited by this and angry that this is monumental. You know, we've got indigenous women who've been leaders of their nation for decades. Decades. Super famous ones like Chief Woman Mankiller of the Cherokee Nation. Super not well-known ones like Dolores Pigsley of the Siletz Nation here in, in Oregon, who have been leading their nations and the equivalent is their presidents. And a little bit about what you said when we were talking earlier, Delma, like lots of other countries have had female prime ministers, have had female leaders. And why is this such a, a, a this monumental, amazing thing? And yet it is. The fact that, you know, Kamala Harris um, being the first woman in the role she's in now as vice president of, um, and coming into the White House. And so there's just layer on layer of America doing, I think, in a lot of ways what it does well, which is wagging a finger at the world while simultaneously playing catch up with what it wrote in its own documents. Um, you and I were talking about what does it mean to 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 come at it with loving critique and and or what does it mean to surround folks who are in this position with the, the amount of love and support they would need and and to me listening to to you say the word progress it made me think should I even be happy like is this even the goal to have one of my people be in this like in in this position that's going to be gut-wrenching. Delma, a lot of why you wanted to do this podcast to begin with is like the left is mean to one another in their flawed state. Like, what are we going to, like, I'm just, now I just want to body block everybody from whatever they're going to say or do to her. And so my whole brain is a hot mess in that, in this narrative. I also think we're so socially constructed to have a particular response to it. Like everybody in my world was texting me, Deb Allen, Deb Allen, Deb Allen. And, and the pressure that I felt to also respond in a particular way, like, yeah, this is the greatest. This is the, when everything in my body was, it was like I said, it was a hot mess exploding all at once. We were not given permission to have those r reactions and if you do, it's a little bit of what we had talked about a long time ago, Delma, where it's, we're not allowed to say negative things about each other in our own communities in front of white spaces either, because God forbid, right, someone take my opinion, that, oh, this national justice, equity, blah, 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 said like a negative thing about this potential thing that I think is progress, and it takes me three months to get them to a space where they even understand the concept that I'm trying to address and 
I'm exhausted. And all I wanted to do was say how I really felt about this potential person in this office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of Magruder's episode back when he was doing the boondocks. But the whole episode was right after Obama comes in and Huey is so unimpressed. Right. And all the black people around him are getting pissed, like ready to physically fight him yeah. because his attitude is like, man, <laughs> you know, yes, um, I remember it. And so and I remember having similar feelings. Um, I can like certain presidents more than others. But when you don't like the office itself, then what difference does it make? Who's sitting in the yep. chair? Yep. Right. So I can only get so excited to have my youngest son grow up only knowing a black president during his developmental years. That's huge. That in and of itself is important. But <laughs> right. But um, I can't then watch a whole generation of folks turned a blind eye to some of the things Obama did that we know we don't agree with. But we don't talk about him. And then we rail against Trump supporters for doing the yep. same thing. Yep. That's a problem. That's a problem. So I'm right there with you. Because I, I did not feel comfortable going around telling, especially older black folks like my parents. I couldn't just be exactly. like, man, they got pictures of him in the house next to Jesus. You know what I mean? Right. Like, come on now. When we come back, we're going to introduce you to a good friend of ours who's going to hopefully comment on any of the nonsense you heard us mention earlier. Uh, push us, give us a hard time, really just give Delma a hard time. Wow. And uh, talk to us a little bit about his work. Thank you for giving Diamond Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back. Thanks, everybody. All right, I'll introduce Khalif the White Way, and then we'll talk a little bit more deeply about him and his work. Khalif currently works in philanthropy, where he supports the transformational K-12 portfolio of the Bay and Paul Foundations, making and stewarding investments across the education system. He specifically works uh, in endeavors in Vermont, Jackson, and Mississippi. Now, the the person-to-person introduction. Uh, Khalif is irreverent. His life is a poem. He breathes strength and beauty into spaces that not only create invitation for connection, but they're not performative. 
He can detect a bullshitter a mile away, which is why Delma's in trouble. Wow. Thanks. And yeah. And in that detection, it's accountability with this mixture of nourishment and love and uh, reckoning and redressing all in the same location. So telling you, Delma, watch out. So welcome. (laughs) Welcome, Khalif. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, Thank you for having me on the cast. Shandine, I love you. It's good to see you here. Thank you. Uh, Delma, nice to meet you. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Um, One of the things that I'm always so interested in exploring is that balancing act between love and accountability, right? And it came up in the conversation that Shandine and I were just having. Um, And it comes up often in this space. Often think about how hard progressives uh, can be on one another, particularly in like social media spaces. I've been to certain conferences where I've seen it. I'm assuming you've seen that yourself, but I'm curious, given that it sounds like so much of your work is about centering relationships. Where do you land on that? What do you, what have you seen and heard and how do you hold that balance for yourself and for those that you're close to and work with? This idea of left and right, this idea of like a dichotomy between love and accountability is an idea that we have. There's, there's a, a liminal space that where, where real sort of a creative, relational, uh, dynamic, transformational potential abides. When we're committed to the idea of ourselves as being a particular thing, a particular identity, and all that comes with that identity, all of the political, moral, emotional obligations, behavioral obligations that come, that we, that we take on, uh, take in, take up in order to uh, gain access, maintain security and claim by a particular um, political realm, political home, uh, political family, identity family. We do ourselves a disservice uh, of, of cementing ourselves in place. So, and we don't realize we're doing it. The sense of belonging in that realm is so uh, intoxicating. It's so compelling uh, that we don't, we, we miss the bigger belonging. The, the most challenging thing um, uh, around this uh, left, right, dichotomy, the dichotomies that are created even within the progressive movements around, even let's just call it right, wrong, progressive, not progressive enough. It is identity oriented. And I believe it comes, it it comes from a real commitment to ourselves as a particular political identity that will carry forward in time forever. We see ourselves at the end of a story of struggle and we're still the same at the end of that story, we're still the same person as we were at the beginning. And I think that that's a white idea. I think that that's a colonial idea. And I don't think it doesn't, I don't think it, it takes into account the, the dynamics of human change, uh, the change in, in, in human political enterprise, social enterprise, cultural enterprise. And so as long as we're 
holding really, really hard to think that the vehicle we're traveling in is a, is a, is a fixed identity of some kind. And we're not actually looking for how, what we combine together to make, who are we when we stop being obsessed with our positionality? Um, it's really, really hard to put ourselves in what I would call a kind of solidarity stance that has any potential. I have family members on my mother's side, right? So uh, my mother is the, the daughter of my destroyers. You get to live in that body, right? So when I was in my uh, early 20s, my grandmother's family was having a wedding that my brother and I were refused access to because our father was black. So when they found out that maybe we would come, they called and said, they can't come. They can't come. I was just looking through a photo album of that family. And I looked at the dude who made the call and said, you can't come. I looked just like that motherfucker to unpack one's own body being violent against one's own body. Yeah. It's, right? it's, it's a different conversation than lateral oppression. Right. It's a different conversation than a woke off. It's a different conversation than um, tensions inherent in a binary. It makes me think about um, comparison in in my world. For me, it's it's almost always around. Lately, it's around uh, rape, and it's um, indigenous people are women in particular, especially in deep um, indigenous communities, like where we're like on like reservation communities. We're so dehumanized. We're not even, we can't even, we won't even make the the public sphere. Like women are not considered humans at, at all. And so our narrative can't even ever get anywhere, ever. And I, like my block to solidarity is de- getting that chip off my shoulder of like, what about, what about, what about? To actually lean in and hear and learn more a ton. We, like we were talking, Delma was on this call the other day and th- uh, an indigenous person was talking about futurism and he was like, let's talk about also like African-American, African futurism, right? Like the, the, like how, like what, where does that coming from the, and part of it is like the need to be seen, the need to be heard, right? The just clawing for it. And sometimes I feel like for me, it, it like, I want it to be the thing that helps us understand one another. And I know it's super, it's super, I'm, I'm saying it in a way that is laying it down as though it's that easy. Um, but when I think about black indigenous solidarity and wanting to talk deeply about like what I'd mentioned earlier, one drop and, and um, blood quantum and where can we learn and grow and hear and see and understand each other's um histories, I go back to what you opened with, Khalif, which is having to actually reckon with yourself first is akin to when we go out and do racial equity work 
in spaces. So I'll go out and do racial equity work. And before I can start to talk to the people about like white folks in their organization, like you got to look at yourself. You got to look at your own history. The trauma, grief, and horrificness of asking ourselves to do that for ourselves in order to actually move toward this really huge construct of solidarity puts me in a fetal position. I don't know that I asked a question or said anything. I think I said seven things that I disagree with even while saying them. (laughs) Yeah, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? Um, I think one of the things I always want to ask every guest, right, is what is it about you personally that you know can make solidarity difficult? If there's anything you know you identify within yourself, which can make it challenging um, to think through and to be in right relationship with certain Mm -hmm. folks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, first of all, I, that that's the right question. You know, there isn't a, um, there isn't a simple answer to that. Uh, the, my whole life is the reason why solidarity is difficult. My whole upbringing, my whole conditioning, my whole, like everything about every minute since the moment I was born and all my answers, like, like there isn't a thing about me specifically. Mm. Um, it's, uh, the systems in which we get to participate to make change limit the, our capacities for togetherness, for belonging, for cooperation, for, um, and so it, we work in institutions that are governed by, um, ideas and ideals that are necessarily our own. Um, we, have limited access to resources, limited power to move those resources into places where they can do the kind of work that needs doing. We function in a meritocracy um, that is predicated on colonial ideals where folks who have access to spaces where conversations and powers being brokered and resources are being accessed is extraordinarily limited. And so being, um, you know, it's an old trope, right? Like the light-skinned black dude has access and comfortability and proximity to whiteness and white spaces and gets to translate, try to translate some of that power, that access to those spaces, try to translate some of that to 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 folks uh, of the global majority, right? And and it's it's it, it's a trope, and it pisses me off, and I hate it, and it makes me sick to my stomach, and it keeps me up at night, and I feel toxic. I feel disgusting and I feel uh, like I want to just like set myself on fire and like, and, and it is, it is the work It's like functionally speaking. Um, this is, this is where well-intentioned people work, do, do work. This is what it feels like. And it's, I know it's not my fault or my lifetime alone that creates these sensations in me. Because it's, it is all of my ancestors that I'm feeling in my body as I, as I try to move the work I move in the spaces where I move. And so in that way, I don't need to take it so personally. Mm. Right? I don't, I don't need to take it so personally. So the, the, the discomfort I feel in trying to coerce the systems that I work in into creating something that might someday look like solidarity hurts me personally. Um, in particular ways, I don't need to take that personally. I need to stay in it, stay focused and try to move things forward. Um, 
so that's one thing. It's almost like kind of getting, getting out of my own way, getting out of my own way, not allowing my discomfort to trick me into thinking that I need to stop or change something or like move in a different direction or withdraw my effort. Um, that actually I'm feeling something on behalf of and through and with tens of thousands of people that my body is connected to. And what a gift that is to what, what fuel that is. That, that, that that's, that's a, that's a signal, mm-hmm. right? That's my, that's my lifeline. Like what if, what if that, what if that was a lifeline? What if I knew, right? That those are my people speaking to me. So, so uh, uh, that's a long way of coming around to the answer to your question. Like where, where are the limitations? Like, well, there's that self limitation of like mistaking my own personal sensations as being valid enough to like, to, to, to retreat or to, to not act. Um, and then the other one is just fundamentally the conditioning that I have. Can I, would I even know solidarity when I saw it? Am I capable of executing it? I have, I'm a settler colonist. I have, um, I, I am a patriarch recovering. I like all, there's all kinds of reasons why this body, this lifetime, uh, right now would be, uh, would be challenging for me as a relational philanthropist, as an organizer of resources to be able to do that well. So, so my, the trick, and I talk about this all the time with colleagues and, and in coaching sessions, the trick is, is to make sure that I'm out of the way to make sure that a story of the work that plays out has as little to do with me as possible. And that's not about humility or about, uh, um, you know, about exposure or, or about anonymity so much as it is about, um, that, that the story that plays out as a result of my contributions to the work won't include me. I'm not going to be there for it. It has to be that way. And super easy, right? You right. just get out of the way. <laughs> right. Cakewalk. I do it all the time. Right. I'm doing it right yes, now. Like nothing. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, I appreciate yeah. you showing up, man. Um, thank you. And yes, Shandine was right. We definitely will be having you back. Um, okay. Yeah, maybe without Shandine next time. Um, Killing what? Me. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, man, thank you for taking the time to join us, uh, Khalif. It was a pleasure to meet you um, and to talk to you. And looking forward to having you back. Um, Shanine, any closing thoughts? No, just a gift. Gratitude. Um, really appreciating the permission to... Uh, to um, for my body to both be rejecting and accepting of this space at the same time and that there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So gratitude for that. Yeah. That's true. All right. It's the only reasonable response. Thank you. Thank you both. Blessings to you both. Um, I'll be, I'll be speaking at the altar uh, tonight. Uh, and I'll mention both your names. Appreciate it. Both your names. Yeah. 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 That's, that's mine. Khalid. Yeah. <laughs> Both your names, Shandi and Shandi and Garcia. That's what I mean. There you go. That's right. Both pretty both of your names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dive in Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. 
The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Shandine and I also want to thank Doug Fierenstein for his editing expertise, Susanna McCandless for administrative acumen, and Jenny Cotty for her marketing and promotion prowess. Without these folks, this show wouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm.